Hello, and welcome to Once More with Commentary, a Buffy podcast. I'm Ginny. And I'm Allie. And today we're talking about Buffy episode two, Living Conditions, and Angel episode two, um, Lonely Hearts. Lonely Hearts. <laughs> uh, yeah, and we're taping this together again. Yay! Which is exciting. So much one-on-one time. <laughs> um, it's, it's good nice be- to be in your presence. It's good, too, because Living Conditions, I feel like, has a lot of personal connections to our college experience, mostly because we were roommates and because of the aforementioned Pilates instructor that's the main character in this episode. Um, Yeah, but uh, I feel like I don't have anything to ask you to catch up on because I saw you two days ago. Um, Yeah. And I already saw your new dresser. (laughs) Uh, Yes, I've been doing lots of furniture disposal and replacement. Mm Mm-hmm fun times. I'm not going to talk too much about that. Um, we're sitting in my disaster of a room right now because that's like a bomb went off in here basically. (laughs) (laughs) Um, well, what did you do yesterday? Um, oh, well we kind of, it was pretty low key day, but, um, we went bowling in Vacaville. That was the main event. Yeah. Yeah, I got creamed. I was the worst one by far, which was surprising because at last time Alex was really bad. And so I thought for sure I would at least beat him, but I did not. Um, my dad smoked everybody. I don't usually also my mom wins, but. But don't your parents have a good day all the time? They used to be in a league, but they're not anymore. Yeah. Um, they do have their own balls and bowling shoes. And you guys are going tomorrow to the Winchester Mystery House? Yes. That's cool. Which I'm very excited about. Yeah. It's such a, like, a pretty famous, as far as, like, haunted houses go in the country, and for growing up so close to it, I never have been. Only my dad has been. My mom hasn't been either, so. I feel like it's that thing that you know is there, but, like, you just never think to go there. That's kind of my yeah. experience with it, is, like, I see a billboard on the freeway, Well, that's what I'm like, I oh. drove past that billboard, like, every day for a long time, and always was like, oh, yeah, that's interesting. I yeah. prefer the old billboard, though. They changed it a couple years back, and it's not as fun. The old one had, like, a was like a cutout shape of the oh. house and it was like all mostly black though most of the billboard was black and now they have like it's like a bright yellow to try and catch your attention but I don't like it. Isn't there something maybe it's not here isn't there like a mystery spot? Or mystery something? spot is I think in Santa Cruz maybe or that's Monterey. what I'm thinking of. Is it, uh, Might be Monterey. It's Mon- It's not Santa. Mm, you know I don't know I'd have to look it up but that probably is what you're thinking yeah. about. Yeah we had this whole debate I was talking about how the house was in Santa Cruz but I think I'm talking about the mystery spot. Yeah. 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 That must be what it is. That sounds right. Those are both here, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) I've never been to the mystery spot, but I'm less interested in that. Yeah. Um, Okay, well, we'll talk about the mystery spot of Sunnydale. (laughs) How was that? That was nice. That was a good segue. Um, So, do you do you have a summary or? Yeah, yeah. Sure. I think we can. I think this is a. I think this is a relatively short summary. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, Buffy is feeling a little bit better. She's in college still, but she does have this new roommate and she's having to get used to living with somebody. Um, and essentially the plot of this episode is that her roommate is super, super annoying as is Buffy to some extent. So her roommate is like playing nonstop VH1 divas. We'll get back to that point. Um, (laughs) there was some music snobbery happening in this episode. There was, However, again, yeah. okay, so her, yeah, her roommate won't stop playing Cher. Uh, she is super, super, you know, tidy and keeps harassing Buffy kind of about every little thing that she does. To be fair, Buffy's totally a slob and mm. is not being respectful of her roommate. Um, so things, you know, it kind of just keeps getting pushed and pushed. Things are getting tenser and tenser. One night her roommate follows her out when she 
is intending to go patrolling, but then since her roommate shows up, she has to like divert and not do anything. Um, she does catch a demon or like see a demon while they're out, but she's not able to follow through on it because she's trying to keep her secret identity from her roommate, Kathy. I don't know why I'm not using her name. Uh, Dagny, whichever, whichever. Uh, <laughs> cause we're good friends. Um, anyway, but then later Buffy has this weird dream about some demons that look kind of like the ones that she saw and they're doing these weird, disgusting rituals to her or whatever. Um, and yeah, so she eventually is like, look guys, she like loses her mind and is not, well, she loses her cool, tells everybody it's my roommate is totally, she's so evil. She must be a demon. She starts being a little over the edge in terms of like, <laughs> she collects her roommate's toenails and then is convinced that they're growing even after they've left her body. Um, but pretty much everybody is telling her Giles and Willow are just saying like, look, you're just, you're not used to living with somebody and you're overreacting to this. But of course this is a Buffy episode. And so by the end we find out that her roommate is in fact the demon who's been giving her these terrible dreams and has been performing a ritual on her trying to steal her soul so that she, uh, she's traveled from another dimension. And by having the soul, she's going to be able to like, stay there, stay on earth and have this life that she wants to have. It's kind of sad. Um, but you know, at the same time, it's also hilarious because they've been there. They've been having minor and minor fights up until the point that they, things really escalate. And then they end up having like a brawl and Buffy tears off her human face to reveal her demon face. So yeah. But at the end of the day, everybody, you know, again, kind of comes to the realization that Buffy was right about her assessment. Everybody comes in and they, deal away with the demon and Buffy moves in. Well, Willow moves into Buffy's room. But we do see that Buffy still has problems. <laughs> she still has problems living with somebody. Um, and I have some other additional questions about the way that that episode is resolved. However, that's more or less the gist of it. Yeah. Um, I do wonder though, why Kathy was so open about the nightmares. I know I was had that thought too. If like, she hadn't said anything, they probably would have, they would have never come to the conclusion that it was actually not just a nightmare. Cause mm-hmm. she was like, Oh, I'm having these nightmares too. Like why, if you're causing it, why would you mention, mention it? it? I guess she thought, I guess if they were anyone else, well, no, that would still would have raised alarms. Maybe she was trying to like, rib Buffy about it in some weird way Maybe. or something. But it was, I mean, like, they clearly, like, beyond the whole, like, I'm a demon, I want to take your soul so that they confuse us and mm-hmm. like, take you instead kind of thing. Like, Kathy was, like, really acting really bratty to Buffy. But, like, Buffy sounds like a... Well, I mean, it's pretty classic, I think, like, mismatch of roommates where Kathy is tidy to the point of ironing her jeans. Yeah. Uh, and Buffy is leaving gum all over the apartment. So, like, really nobody's... Nobody's innocent in this in this scenario. Buffy is also like eating her food and not paying yeah. for it. Um, I guess the other thing too, though, is that as Buffy continues to kind of act bitchier and bitchier throughout the episode, they do explain that like part of it was her losing little pieces of her soul was like making her grouchier than she would normally be. So yeah, a little bit of her behavior maybe can be explained away by that. But I think at the end of the day, Buffy is kind of a slob. I do like the idea of, like, her slowly losing her soul kind of turns her into this, like, ticking time bomb. Like, Willow can tell that Buffy's becoming more and more kind of unhinged, where, like, she calls Giles and she's like, oh, Buffy's gone crazy. Uh, No, like, I mean, like, insane. I sent her over to your place. Okay, bye. (laughs) So, like, you know, Xander and Oz have to kind of, like, jump her and Mm -hmm. tie her up, which obviously they're inept at, but... um, this whole idea that, like, it's slowly sending her over the edge and, like, but that she's, yes, she's overreacting and going crazy, but that there's also, like, a reason for yeah. it, too. Like, no one's actually pretending that Buffy's behaving sanely or rationally in this Right, right, right. So, yeah. Um, this is kind of one, 
You know, it's funny because I had this as like a mantra before we kind of got into talking about these episodes more in depth. So I want to say that like, you know, this is one of the episodes that does also fall under this like Buffy is always right. Yeah. You know, theory that I have and that I think the show has. But it is funny because like I always kind of had that as a like I took it more at face value of like, no, it's just because she's the slayer that she's right about all these things. But truthfully, I think they're a little bit sloppy with the way that they write those. I think that they do really make it seem like she's people have good reasons every time. Not every time. Most of the time in these early ones, people have good reasons to doubt the things that she's saying. So it is weird that like she kind of is just right because she's lucky, not really because she's like seen something that they aren't picking up on. Yeah. Even the toenail thing. It's not hard to imagine her at that point in the episode just doing that <laughs> and being convinced. Yeah, that she measured and then like... Like measuring toenails is a off. weird thing to do. <laughs> but she's so proud. She's like, she, she is thought really I proud was of asleep, herself. but I wasn't. And yeah. I took her toenails and I measured them. <laughs> and I'm like, it's just like she doesn't recognize how unhinged she sounds in that yeah. moment. But you're right. Like there's legitimate reasons for everyone to be concerned but like and even Buffy kind of recognizes that she's right she knows crazy. she's not right yeah hmm. but I mean I mean like Kathy a lot of it like they're having a conversation she literally stops the conversation to push repeat on her like CD on her player CD, or whatever yeah. and like honestly like that is too much share it I is. will admit it is um but this whole idea of like she's terrible because she has like mainstream taste a Celine Dion poster yeah I mean that's pretty college though yeah I do feel like this was the well okay before I can move on to that point all I wanted to say in terms of those divas is that I super duper remember those VH1 specials oh yeah that they did it was Mariah Carey Cher Shania Twain Celine Dion and there was a fifth one Whitney yeah yeah they had those specials for such a long time yeah um, so <laughs> I guess I do not want, I don't want to, under, uh, understate how obnoxious Kathy is too, though, because like I, I mentioned, she's ironing her jeans. She's labeling her eggs. Why is she even labeling anything in the refrigerator when Buffy literally has nothing in there? I mean, I get it because she's being passive aggressive, but it is also like, why does Buffy think any, she can't eat any of it. No, you put zero things in there. Yeah. Uh, it looked like Buffy might, might've had some yogurt in there or something. Oh, okay. But like the milk, the, um, I mean, Buffy like though, when she's like chugging the milk, like, come on. Like, well, she's doing that on purpose to antagonize her at that point. Yeah. I mean, Buffy's not being her best self, but like Kathy for sure. Like, I mean, okay. Label your eggs, but like she literally drew on every single egg, which I know forget about the food safety of that. Like it's just Weird. weirdly passive yeah <laughs> and like, but that's the point of like taking it a little too far well and uh, moreover there's the whole scenario so kathy goes out on accidentally go, follows buffy when she's going out on patrol and then buffy has to shove her into the dirt because some demons show up and she's trying to you know push both save her and also get her out of the way so she doesn't see anything and kathy gets like dirt on her sweater or whatever and then decides that what is appropriate is since buffy quote-unquote ruined her sweatshirt that she can take a sweater out of Buffy's closet but yeah. like that is not equal because Kathy gets mud stains on her what looked to me to be a jersey hoodie yeah. which is like honestly you could probably get those stains out it's mud yeah. and it's jersey like both of these are things that are going to come out she ends up getting ketchup on Buffy's knit sweater like that's never going to come out so unless the answer is that Kathy being a demon doesn't know how to do laundry maybe so but she was ironing her jeans she knows some stuff 
Like, how does she know how to do any of this? I don't know. Like, also, she. It, how did it, she enroll at Sunnydale? Oh, that's a great question. How did she just disappear and no one <laughs> notices? I mean, like, you can't unpack this too much, otherwise it falls uh, yeah. apart. I did enjoy the way it ended, though, where. Like, <laughs> this whirlpool portal opens in their dorm room floor, and mm-hmm. Buffy literally is like, better crawl away from this. Yeah. And, like, Kathy just gets sucked, sucked into this, like, portal with her dad or whatever. Apparently, she's 3,000 years old or 300 yeah. years old. Or... But he's treating her like she's 900. Yeah. Um, but, okay, so I did notice in this episode, and I... This is the fun thing that I do enjoy about this season, mm-hmm. is that mm-hmm. I think from the beginning they knew what they wanted to do. And so yeah. you see them laying the groundwork oh, for yeah. super early. Like, Oz is going to be around for a few more episodes, but we already see him pass by Veruca, Veruca. on the mm-hmm. street and, like, kind of, like, notice her. Mm-hmm. And um, also, uh, in mm-hmm. the background of that scene, you see the initiative kind yeah. of walking by in the background. I noticed that, too. And I also noticed the opening credits of this season feature Spike very heavily. Oh, and yeah. They feature not... a lot of scenes from season four, also. They do, but, like, Spike is repeatedly showing up in the opening mm-hmm. credits but he's not like a in the show yeah in the show so it's an odd choice yeah. um so kind of like i wonder if it's like they're kind of laying the groundwork so that mm-hmm. you kind of remember like maybe next episode like oh yeah this guy right and, right um or that when they want to recut the credits it's easy <laughs> yeah i don't know that it, yeah no i did enjoy that scene with oz too because it was kind of funny too I mean, it was a little bit, I don't want to say it was out of place, but like they come up with this reason, right? Which is that Willow needs to do her own studying. So she sends Oz to go look after Buffy instead Mm -hmm. of doing it herself, Um, which more or less makes sense. I did kind of think like, oh, that's funny. Like, why are they giving, you know, they're, oh, I guess they're just giving Oz, you know, a moment to shine or whatever, or giving him some time with Buffy because we don't get to see them interact one-on-one that much. Um, But yeah, and then it was like, oh, why are they showing him walking by himself? That's weird. And then I was like, oh, this is why it's because you're trying to Mm -hmm. lay, yeah, lay groundwork essentially. But, um, which, and this is something we can talk about in a few episodes, but you know, when Seth Green left the show, I was really bummed and it kind of was like a, not a direction you thought they were going to go, but like kind of watching him in some of these scenes is like, I wonder if he came back for this season and he was just like not into it like it's true seems, no that's like, why like, Oz is always like really taciturn and quiet but mm-hmm. even the way he, he just seems kind of particularly checked out disinterested and, like, it's just, yeah you know, and I wonder if he just thought like for having to tie yourself on contract to being a regular he wasn't really getting as much to do and like mm-hmm. or he just wasn't as interested anymore and like I, mean, I know there I've definitely read to the to the uh evidence to the latter which yeah. is that he asked to be yeah. exit early yeah. that's why it happens so soon yeah um but i, I think just they think definitely like, intended it to be like a maybe half a season or season long arc and it just doesn't get as much groundwork yeah but i think like um, in a scene where he and buffy are one-on-one patrolling yeah and he it's is kind of less to be a little comedic but he's just kind of not as not much selling there. it and yeah that's a good point point. and i was just already primed to think about that because of the whole veruca scene and right so i was just like oh, oh like yeah he really doesn't seem as interested and mm-hmm. you know he's just quieter yeah that is interesting. Even quiet for Oz, I guess. Right. So, yeah. Um, um, but we can talk about that more when it actually is relevant. We're a little, little early on that, that conversation. Um, but yeah, there's, not, I mean, beyond the whole roommate thing, there's, I mean, we kind of see Willow has a, like. Also has a terrible roommate. Which she's not complaining about as much, or at yeah. all, really. And yeah. you just see, like, her roommate's a party monster, basically. And, mm-hmm. like, Willow can't study it because there's always people partying in her, in her room. room. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, I do think that this is kind of the only episode that sort of mirrors the, like, high school is hell motif of, mm-hmm. like, this is the one where college is hell. Yeah. 
And I think it's really successful in that light. I think like, it's super funny. This was a really entertaining episode to watch. I think, I think Kathy is awesome. Like she did a great job. I'm a little bit surprised that she had zero, seemingly had very little success after this as an actress. Um, because I think she was, she played it really well, but, um, well, yeah, not to get too far down that line, but yeah, anyway, I think that this was kind of, yeah, college doesn't lend itself to that as much anyway, because for a lot of people, college is supposed to be the time when you're freer and things are easier and you're able to fit in or find a group or whatever where you maybe didn't in high school. So yeah, I think that that metaphor doesn't really hold as, it's not as good in college, but I do think that having a shitty roommate is like another pretty universal experience that a lot of people are going to have. Um, so I think that I it never works out. lived with a Kathy. Yeah. <laughs> Me neither. I did live with three girls in one room, as I mentioned last week, but yeah, you know, that had its own challenges. Uh, <laughs> um, shoot. I had something else to say about <laughs> Kathy. Oh, well this, I guess I do a little bit. I wonder too, if they had planned better for Oz, if they would have done things differently. I kind of wish that Kathy stuck around a little bit longer before they got into this. Yeah. Like it would have been nice to see like maybe four episodes. Yeah. That's kind of what I'm in the background. Mm-hmm. And then it doesn't make Buffy seem like such a brat. Like at most, right. what have they been living together for like a month? And like, yeah. she's, you know, at least Buffy's, you know, kind of, um, <clears throat> adjusted to the whole rhythm of school. But yeah. like, it just kind of seems like she never wanted to give Kathy a chance and, and that she solely hates her based on her taste in music and the fact that she irons her jeans, which look, <laughs> I have ironed my jeans in the past. Sometimes jeans get wrinkled. Uh, do they? <laughs> uh, yeah. And you mm. want them to look nice. Like, mm. I get that. Also, I mean, Buffy just started wearing jeans. What is she talking it's about? It's true, she's not the jeans expert. <laughs> um, she did wear them again in this episode. I'm yeah. going to point it out every time because it used to be a rare occurrence. And it's now, true. I'm sorry, it's like every episode. Um, there were also, you know, the early seasons of Buffy have some iconically 90s fashion. This episode ha- was smothered in iconically aughts fashion. Yeah. Like every scene, I was like, oh my God, that, oh my God, that, oh my God. I have 117 magazines. I have all these outfits on them. Even Buffy wore that. Willow was wearing? Yeah. Uh, I'll name check a couple of specific outfits. There's the Buffy wears a tube, like a tube top with a kerchief. Uh-huh. So much with, uh-huh. with a long, with a knee length, like floral print skirt. Classic. Yep. Uh, yeah. Willow's got a crochet poncho on in one scene. Yep. That is a little bit of Willow, but also maybe was in mm-hmm. fashion for a minute. And Kathy's got that like Hawaiian print dress. Yeah. And Buffy's crap jeans with the fabric at the bottom. Like, the, oh yeah. yeah it's totally nineties or 99, 2000. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. No, Buffy's <laughs> tube top with the skirt. I was like, I was oh, like, yeah. 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 But that was, again, on the cover of every Seventeen magazine for, like, a solid year. Yeah, that was super in style. Um, I do, you said that you don't want to talk about this, but I do. I mean, how do they explain what happened to Kathy? Also, they broke a window. Like, that's going to come, you're going to have to pay for that in college. They don't just let you get away with breaking windows. I mean, these are the things they just never mention. Yeah. Like, you know. It, was, it reminded me of when we watched Big the other day. And we were like, how did, what happens to all these missing people left in the trail of these, like, episodes? So I don't know what how they explained Kathy gone missing. I guess, to be fair, in Sunnydale, students had gone missing a hundred times. Well, and no one no had really one ever, questioned I mean, it. I mean, maybe so. Buffy took a page on yeah, Sunday's book and just wrote a, a note. note. <laughs> like, it's, it's too much for me. Yeah. And, you know, I left. I mean, no one seems to be investigating it's these. It's true. Like, so. These people just leave campus and don't even have to unenroll. Would, like, it's, you know. Honestly, particularly weird given the initiative are they not investigating these things i mean i guess they're just not getting we'll very see far in the next episode but it just appears that they're that's not in just i was gonna say people, i guess that's so. really not their yeah. interest um speaking of the next episode we also meet parker 
Oh, yeah. Yeah? Buffy's elder wise sage in the dining hall line. Mm -hmm. He comes across very charming. He does. And that guy is super hot, um, I think. Although I saw him in something recently, and he, I was like, oh my god, he looks so old. Yeah. I was like, but that Mm. makes sense. I mean, this was a while ago. (laughs) 16 years ago. Uh, Yeah. He's in an episode of Mad Men also. Only in one. Mm -hmm. Um, That's neither here nor there. Yeah. I have some questions just because, again, like sometimes we're talking about these college episodes, but definitely some of this stuff rings true to me as someone who I have seen UC campuses and especially in Southern California or whatever. So like a lot of this stuff does feel about right. But our college experience was so strict by comparison. I'm confident that they checked our bags when we left the dining hall. Is that something that you remember? No. I think they did. But Maybe I it was just at Warren Towers. A bag to the dining hall. I'm pretty sure they would check your backpack because I remember this being a thing that like, oh yeah, you bring a bag and throw some cereal in it or whatever and heist it. But I don't think you could do that at our campus. <laughs> in the way that you were literally couldn't come in the building if you didn't live there or had a really express permit. There's a lot that you couldn't do on our campus. Yeah, that would it just be cracks, portrayed it just as part cracks of the normal college experience. What, like, how did we live like like that? Like, I guess honestly, it's not that hard. Parker just was in her room, and I was like. How did, who signed him into the dorm? Like, how did he... Because even for us, like, even being students, you couldn't just swipe Go in. into someone else's building. Well, you, you could during could, the day, but not at day, night. but not yeah. at night. So, okay, maybe it was not at Yeah, I guess it was whatever, early. But, yeah. Um, it is kind of funny, too, to see him chatting with Kathy, because I think it under... Highlights kind of how charming he is. Mm-hmm. That even right away is, like, she and Buffy couldn't be more different, and he's having a totally easy conversation with her also. I think yeah. that's... I think that was a well... It was a well-executed scene. Also, it is super annoying when it's like, she obviously thought she had this flirty moment with this guy and then only to come in there finding him flirting with your roommate. Mm-hmm. I would be mad about that too. But of course she blames Kathy. Right, yeah. And and to be fair, he was also, looked like he was mostly just being polite to mm-hmm. her. Um, yeah. Oh man. Um, I, th- I feel like this isn't what they were going for, but a little bit to the... A thing that I was kind of left with at the end of this episode was like, it did seem a little bit too like a metaphor for basically when people tell women that they're just being hysterical and like, don't believe them and don't take it seriously. You know, like this is like a common thing or has, can be a common thing with like doctors or just your everyday life where like you are, you know that something is wrong. You tell someone that something's wrong and they convince you that you're just being, you're just overreacting. So a little bit too, I think that does make me sympathetic to Buffy, whereas clearly she's being unreasonable and she's not behaving well. But at the same time, it's frustrating to know that something's wrong and have no one listen to you, especially when you're the slayer and it is your job to to notice things. Yeah. I mean, that kind of goes along with like, you know, maybe everyone's a little bit out of sync too, because of like the the new structure Mm -hmm. and what's going on is like, you know, they're not seeing what's happening to Buffy. Whereas like in high school, it's like it would have been happening to all of them. So they would have been like less likely to be like, you're making it up or you're Mm -hmm. overreacting because they would have experienced themselves. I mean, we see in this episode, like Buffy wants to talk to Giles. She has to go to his apartment Mm -hmm. and like catch him coming back from a run or Mm -hmm. Xander, like just randomly hangs out with them on the campus to eat Mm -hmm. Willow's food or whatever. But it's like, they're not naturally coming together. It's like a little bit harder. And so Buffy's also in this kind of isolated, I mean, like, it's interesting that so far in two stories that have been about Buffy adjusting to college, mm-hmm. we've barely seen Willow, we've barely seen Oz or even Xander. And like Giles. They, and Giles. Yeah. Like they don't, they're not integrated in a way that that's they true. used to be. Yeah. And I think that's why, and maybe that's intentional about they're trying to tell a story about like the Slayer being at college, mm-hmm. but it's very much gone from being about this group of friends to mm-hmm. Buffy has this story and everyone's circling around the outside of it, but they're right. not 
everything that's happening to her is like, you know, no one sees Sunday attack her. No one sees her like confront these vampires until she tells Xander about it. No one sees her interactions with Kathy. Yeah. Um, I mean, Willow maybe a little bit more because, you know, Buffy can kind of complain to her and then also she interacts with Kathy a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, But more she interacts in a way that like makes her fear for Kathy's safety. Like, you know. (laughs) Um, So, but we don't see them witnessing any of this. Like Buffy's very much in her own story. So Mm -hmm. that could maybe be why. And they do, I think though, that's an intentional choice. And that a lot of the theme of this season is like when you grow up and you go away to college, like the idea is you have this group of friends, but slowly one by one, like we see the group leave a little bit. Like, I mean, Cordelia is no longer there. Mm -hmm. Oz is, you know, here for a short while. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, Xander's off in his own like life trying to get a job and like survive. And Willow's, we'll see her exploring Wicca more and like other relationships. Mm -hmm. And like, I think the whole idea of like, and we get, the full circle to the end of the season is like they they literally don't spend the season together and like I, it's something that I kind of want to keep an eye out for yeah I'm like, very interested yeah now there that you're are more episodes that. than not where they're each have their own individual stories right. or they're not in scenes together a lot yeah. and I think watching these two episodes I kind of was like oh like I think this is an intentional choice and I think that's why a lot of people don't like the season as much right. because it's like do we really want to see them off on their own adventures or yeah. come together you know what else I had never noticed before is that in this, in this episode or in the last one, or maybe even in both, is that, like, Giles keeps giving that speech to Buffy about, you need to learn how to do this stuff yourself, mm-hmm. which is going to be a major theme two seasons from now. Um, I think it's interesting how, I guess I just never noticed that he also did it in this, this season. Like, he's well, tried to distance himself several so times I, before I, it really sticks, and even then it still never really sticks. Well, the reason it doesn't stick, I think, is because this time, yes, he's, you know, he got fired by the Watcher's sure. Council. Then <clears> Buffy <throat> fired the Watcher's Council, which... Rightly so, Giles might have taken as her not really feeling like she needed them around anymore. Mm-hmm. Obviously, she's still going to him for guidance. But then we do see at the beginning of next season, she comes to him and explicitly asks him to be her watcher again. True. Because she wants to explore more of what it means to be a slayer. Right. So, like, there is a reason he has to kind of have this conversation with her twice. But I think this one... He has it, he has it two or three times. I think there's a third yeah. time where I'm always like, man, you gotta but stick I, to your guns, Giles. You leave or don't leave. But I feel like <laughs> this one particularly is more he thinks this is what he's supposed to do, not necessarily what he thinks should happen. Like, because, like, you know, he's basically yeah. semi-retired now. And he's right. like, well, Buffy went off to college and she thinks she can do it herself. Yeah. Let's, let's have her really figure... Like, she's not going to figure out whether she can or not unless she tries. Mm-hmm. But she's still very much, like, using him as, like, kind of a crutch. Which, yeah. I mean, she still needs to talk to him. He's got all the knowledge and the books mm-hmm. and, like, you know, they need to still use him as a resource. But I think he's trying to kind of nudge her into at least dealing with her life decisions and stuff without... I guess I just think it's interesting how unsuccessful he is at that. I think, in my opinion, he he never is successful at that. Even in the later seasons when he, like, the actor leaves the show temporarily, but then he comes back. And I'm always like, he really... I'm glad that he comes back because he's important to me and I, like, I think it's clear that she needs him Mm -hmm. for help. Uh, But, yeah, I think it's kind of funny that I'm like, oh, you're crying wolf, even at this stage, and I had completely forgotten about it. Um... The other thing that I thought was just no, just noteworthy about that Giles scene is it's like they're in that little courtyard in front of his apartment. I don't think we'll ever see that again. That didn't look familiar to me at all. The outside of his door I recognize and his apartment I recognize, but they never hang out there again. Mm, I'm going to pay attention in uh, Pangs and see how much I they're in the apartment the whole time. Looks like. well, there's some outside fighting. Mm, um, yeah. Anyway, yeah. it was just kind of funny, I guess. Where the same thing with like when you're in this new... Uh, you know, the show itself is trying to figure out what are the places and where where is it comfortable for them to hang. I think they 
tried this one and then kind of decided it doesn't make sense or they didn't like it or who knows what. Yeah, but I think mm. it's hard to find a, a place where they're all going to coalesce if exactly. they're all in their own individual things. I mean, we see them kind of powwowing in the student lounge, but, like, that's weird. Like, why and is so Giles public. hanging out yeah. in the student lounge? Like, he's not an employee yeah. anymore. Like, it's, you know, he can't just, like, be there inconspicuously. Um, like, even Willow has to introduce him as he's our old friend or, yeah. you know. Yeah. So it's... I think they're slowly figuring out, because, like, this is kind of going hand-in-hand hand with Buffy having to be, like, secret identity again. Yeah. You know, it's, like, trying not to arouse any suspicion mm-hmm. or tension. Which is, though, another point. I I mean, I, I think that the answer, obviously, is because they wanted to do an episode like this, but it really doesn't make sense that Buffy and Willow didn't just become roommates. I mean... I mean, mo- if nothing... I could understand them making that decision... Because I knew people that went to the same college and decided they didn't want to live with someone they knew for, you know, try and get a different experience yeah. or, or try and meet people or whatever. So that part is fine. But that 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 Buffy has weapons in her room. It just seems really irresponsible. Can that, we like, talk about the lock on her closet door? What purpose does that serve? It's a slide lock on yeah, the closet door. Yeah. Like, anyone can come and unlock it. And it's I see later she has, like, a deadbolt on it. But mm. she wasn't... Like, Kathy just unlocks the door because yeah. it's, like, there's a lock, but it's the wrong way. Yeah. And she just has this open bag of weapons, like which seems like also something that could get you kicked out of school. So it also, you know, again, it seems very irresponsible to have her room with anyone other than Willow, who's going to definitely keep these secrets for her and be okay being on the hook for something like that. So. It's an odd choice, and I, I feel like they only made it so that they could tell this story. Exactly. Like, oh, which I appreciate. You can't have a story about the roommate from hell if you, well, literally from hell, right? If, it's if you are living with Willow, your best friend, yeah. yeah. So I, I'm guessing that's why Kathy was only so there for a couple episodes right. too, because it doesn't make a lot of sense. But, um, <sighs> but yeah, I do, I do, I would like to see, you know, in my head, I'm going to live through this fiction where Kathy gets to stick around a little longer. I think it would have been nice too, because even from the get in episode one, they are kind of going out of their way to, sh- I think, depict her as being kind of annoying. Um, I think it would have been more realistic to have a couple of episodes where it seems like maybe they're going to be friends before things kind of turn. Because yeah. I think I didn't know anybody that immediately hated a roommate in college. Definitely, it's the sort of thing that is like a slow burn because people are on their best behavior in the first week or two. And yeah, and, and it's just hard to get to know somebody that quickly. So yeah. Or, you know, you have a immediate dislike probably rarely. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like it's rare that they would hate each other yeah. from the get go. I mean, you hear these stories of people like... <laughs> find out who their roommates are and then they get some weirdly passive aggressive or right. downright rude like email, email or something from yeah. them of, like it's this true. is the way it's going to be and like but and it's like I don't know who these people yeah, think they either. are. I never really heard about anyone I knew having a situation like that. So. Yeah. Um cool so should we talk about Angel? Lonely Hearts. Lonely Hearts. Um yes. So this episode, uh, we see Angel sitting in the dark in his new Angel's Investigations office, and Doyle comes in and says, hey, like, you're supposed to be out there in the world, um, you connecting. know, connecting with people, um, and Angel's kind of like, well, this isn't, you know, this is kind of what I enjoy doing, is sitting in the dark and brooding, I guess, and um, so Cordelia comes in, Doyle has a vision of just a nightclub, but mm-hmm. he doesn't know why, so... They decide they're going out anyway, and Cordelia brings along a huge stack of Angel business cards um, and starts handing them out in the club. But meanwhile, Angel's trying to kind of work the crowd and figure out if very subtly if anyone needs help. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you need help? Do you do you need help? <laughs> um, and basically, he has a nice conversation with this lady at the bar. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> we see another couple like kind of meet up and then go home. 
and um, to come to find out that couple, like, the next morning, like, the woman wakes up, and the guy is just, like, his body is eviscerated, Mm -hmm. and she calmly gets up and goes about her day, only to come back to the club and, like, pick up a, a man, and then we see this this process, this cycle go in where come to find out there's a demon, like this parasitic demon that um, jumps from host to host and the way he does it is like going to the same club over and over, like way to arouse suspicion. I know. (laughs) And um, picking a new host because he's trying to find a body that he can live in. Um, But meanwhile, Angel tangles with this woman at the bar, come to find out she's a cop. Right. And she thinks Angel is the serial killer because he gets caught at the scene of a crime at a bad moment. Mm -hmm. Um, But... They figure out that the bartender is now possessed by this demon and Angel kills it with fire. And Kate, the cop, is none the wiser of the true, which is a little bit... She's exhibiting classic Sunnydale signs of, like, selective memory, I must say. Um, Yeah. But uh, Angel solves that. But the whole point of this episode is that people need connection and lonely people go out to these miserable clubs all the time to try to meet someone. And Mm -hmm. this demon is just trying to make a connection, trying to find basically a host yeah um but it's a very clumsy metaphor for like the dating scene in los angeles yeah yeah um but also they kind of use it as a way to get angel out of the house right yeah um meanwhile cordelia and doyle are spending more time together doyle immediately has a intense crush on cordelia and cordelia's more than once claiming how she hates demons so yeah and she doesn't know that doyle is half demon yeah um, so much about this episode I did not enjoy. Yeah, I mean, kind of starting with the Doyle thing, I, you know, I don't hate Doyle, but he is kind of rehashing the things that I don't like about Xander. Yeah. And it's like, I didn't need a Xander character in this show, or we don't, I don't need that dynamic again of somebody <laughs> pining after a girl that's too pretty and too good for them. Too in good a, in all ways, in not just too pretty. Way. So yeah, exactly. He makes kind of gross comments. Something yeah. bring up that I did not mention last time I found in my notes was he makes his comment about Cordelia at the end of that episode yeah. and calls her a stiffener. Yes. Which, ew. Yeah. Like, I just, like, It's like, you wonder why these girls don't like you, Doyle. It's because yeah. you're being disgusting. Yeah. And he just continues that behavior. And and even Cordelia, I mean, like, he, when they're in the club and they encounter these drunk guys who, because Cordelia is, like, there and looks pretty, assume that Uh, Doyle's, like... No, it's because she's going around. It does feel... It's because they're handing out the business cards that they get a little bit confused about the circumstance. Yeah, so these guys assume that Cordelia is a a prostitute and Doyle is her pimp, I guess. Yeah. But Cordelia is getting mad. These guys keep calling her a whore and, like, a whore and all this stuff. And Doyle keeps saying, like, yeah, she minds, like, and Cordelia's, like, stop talking for me, like, yes, I mind, and, yeah. like, you know, like, this is Doyle doing, pulling a Xander and trying to come in and, like, yeah. protect her all the time, but she doesn't need him to do this, but yeah. it just leads to this whole exchange where, like, Doyle's being weirdly possessive and gross, yeah. and, like... He's very he's, nice guy, TM, yeah. like, yeah, you don't need to do this, and also, it's just annoying that, like, again, with, with Xander, at least, I think there is some reasonable excuse, which is he's 16 and 17, mm-hmm. and he hasn't learned some of these later in life lessons that one hopefully finds out, you know, when they mature, but Doyle is clearly early, a little bit older. He's looks to be in his early 30s? to mid twenties. Oh, okay. Either way, he could be anywhere from twenty to thirty-five, and yeah. I would believe it. Who knows? But suffice it to say, he's not in high school. He's lived more. He's lived in LA. Like he should just be more experienced than this. That so, like it really bugged me in the beginning when he was like talking to Angel about. I don't even know if she likes me. It was like you're not in high school. You know yeah. how you could tell. Number one, you could ask her, and number two, you could look at her face, and it's clear that she doesn't like you. So yeah. just stop it. You know, don't go after this. So there's that, and then also we, so we have that, and then we have this conversation that happens when 
um, this one guy, one of the victims, like, mm-hmm. his friend comes to the bar, like, looking for him. And they have this horrible conversation between him and the bartender where yeah. he's talking about, oh, scraping the bottom of the barrel, right. that plain Jane or whatever. And then come to find out this guy, like, hit on this girl a couple times. And, like, yeah. but then they're, like, just that whole conversation was so misogynistic and, like, <sighs> disgusting. And I think the idea is supposed to be of, like, yeah, men are, like, everyone's claiming they're out here for a certain reason, but clubs like this are gross, the people are gross, like, whatever. I get it, but, like, there was just so much about this episode that was just so off-putting. Yeah. And at the same time, it was, like, the whole message was, like, if you're not in a couple, you're really lonely, and you have to put yourself through these miserable things. Yeah. And it's, like, because Angel was, like, that's what people do when they're lonely. And, like, maybe that is what people do when they're lonely. Yeah. But there was also this whole idea of, like, this couple at the very beginning has that long conversation about, like, that's what you have to do in life because right. you're not, And I was just, like... I don't know what the message was they were trying to That's a good point. And I do feel like they were equating singledom with loneliness, which is like, it seems like, you know, anybody can be lonely. Yeah. (laughs) And loneliness is, I think, an idea that is worth exploring. Yeah. But yeah, I do feel like, yeah, that's a good point. But I I also think it was supposed to mm. mirror whatever conversation Angel and Kate were having about the same thing. But I think the idea is that Angel is a lonely person because he can't really connect with someone and like he has these limitations. And I get it, but I feel like they were trying to stretch it to this like, he's just like everyone else. But it just, the conversation was like, I was like, well, I mean, and, and you know, this was 1999, so whatever, sure. but I was like, I just feel like we have a different approach to this now of like, yeah, you can have a fulfilling life and it's not super sad if you're not in a relationship or... It's interesting too, because like you're saying, I, you know, I'm. It, it is unclear to me what the message of this episode is because they do have that conversation, but that conversation, the conversations that the demon repeatedly has with people in the club and even that Angel and Kate have to some extent is, um, Kate's her name? Yeah. yeah. It was a series of cliches. So yes. it's like... They're not, it's not, it didn't feel, it didn't impart to me any sort of like wisdom about this particular scene. It really just seemed like a display of people being fake with one another, I guess, to guard their loneliness. But like, I guess I'm saying that I didn't even really buy it to begin with Mm -hmm. because even Kate is like, I come here almost every night. And I was like, I don't know a single per. granted, maybe, you know, not, not passing judgment on people and whatever lifestyle you live. But like, I don't know very many people who go out every single night. Like, you have jobs. Well, so she said that, but I assumed also she was going there every single night because, well, because she was it was part of her job. It out, like, sure, but I guess, knew. but I guess my point is still that, like, she used that as, like, yeah. part of her conversation, and it was like, if it were, I, I don't, that to me was not believable. So that yeah. to me would have tipped me off that, like, maybe you're a cop. Yeah. Not every weekend. Every yeah. weekend going to a club makes sense to me, but, like, every night, I well, don't know. You get up in the morning. Like, going to the bar and sitting there, like, is yeah. this really what people are doing? Like, it exactly. seems like the worst place to go to try to meet someone. Like, Yeah, and I guess that is just part of a, like, maybe, you know, I think you and I do live sort of differently from a lot of people, but even when we used to go out a lot, I don't, none of this rang true to me, mm-hmm. and maybe I'm sure that the L.A. scene is a little bit different from the San Francisco scene, because of course it is, but, like, I, yeah, it didn't feel very genuine to me of the I way mean, that people go out and the way that people have also this is what i was trying to remind myself was this was pre-tender pre-dating apps true. pre-okcupid even like true you know, it's like maybe it had just come out like it was like people were not meeting online so right. like maybe this is something that people used to do a lot more yeah. and so maybe it actually didn't ring as false as like you and i might think it is because we're like why would anyone do this but i think the problem is that i don't care how they're doing this it's like the conversations that they're having you're right they, they were weren't substantive full of cliches yeah like it was like Gotta and do it, it or, Well, you know. and it makes sense when it was the demon, because I think one could assume that, like, yeah, this is a wily demon who's figured out mm-hmm. the cheesy things that you can say that will, unfortunately, be successful for you in a bar, but then to kind of mirror with Angel, yeah, it is just, like, I don't... You're right, but, like, at the end of the day, I don't understand, really, whose side they were on, other than trying to just say that everyone is lonely. Yeah. 
And also if they said make a connection one more time, <laughs> I was going to have to cut my ears off because they said it a hundred times. We get it. That's the yeah. Theme oh, they're making a connection. They're physically connection. and yeah. yeah, literally and metaphorically yeah. making connections. Well, I also, get so it. they kind of said like the demon had to like, they had to, there had to be some sort of like sex act, like exchange of fluids they said or something for the mm-hmm. demon to like jump I think they, that was a theory he had. I don't think it did. It didn't need to. The bartender yeah, basically exactly. was just like, I'll take anybody I can. Yeah. No, I think that that was just the way they decided to. Yeah to do it um I guess aside from that one conversation where the bartender I don't think the bartender himself said anything super gross so much as he didn't correct the gross men I do kind of feel bad for that you know that that character I think he was a good bartender he did break up the fights he he seemed to be unfortunately yeah he just unfortunately was the victim at the end but like I did kind of like him I was like oh he he meant well I think he seemed to be the only one in the bar that kind of had his head on straight and he knew yeah this is just like a sleazy bar but blah 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 and he was like kind of fun with angel and with the other characters um it also looked like they set up that bar in the lobby of an old theater or something like it was a weird it was a weird setup it was the whole i have to say for a show as much as we were just talking about buffy looking really like early aughts like this show considering this is 1999 i'm like this whole aesthetic looks so 90s like you know, even yeah. the, the scene transitions, the, like, dark lighting, the clothes, the, like, it just, like, felt very dated in a way where I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. Um, um, but this is not my favorite episode of Angel by no. a long shot. And it almost, because it's the second episode, has to serve as, like, kind of a second pilot. But they don't even really Re-tread. go there. yeah. Other than the opening, like, recap basically makes it sound like Angel got a soul and then came to L.A., like, erases right. the entire Buffy history. Yeah. Um, I guess they don't really want to rehash that, but, um, yeah, it just doesn't really rehash too much other than, like, we were reminded Angel's a vampire, like... We're reminded about his curse a little bit. Yeah. I do think, again, yeah, I guess they had interesting ideas with this episode. They just don't really execute well in the end because I do also, you know, again, Cordelia, why did Cordelia have to say this twice in the one episode? I don't know, but I do think it is a point worth making is that what does the future for Angel mean now that he knows, you know... some of these questions are going to come up later, but like, is it that he can only not have sex with Buffy or can he not have it with anyone? And I think that that is kind of something worth exploring because part of the reason that he's, he is on purpose closing himself off because he knows that that way is only going to lead to dark things for him. And I think that that is an interesting idea and that idea alone is worth well, exploring, but it I think is. They have to clarify what they're talking about a moment of perfect happiness being, because there's a lot of talk where char- certain characters equate it to basically Angel has an orgasm, therefore Angel, that's perfect happiness. But, like, that's not But we don't know that, I guess is what I'm saying, is that he doesn't know. Not at this point, no. I don't think he's... Well... Okay, I don't remember some of the things that happened later. Suffice it to say, I think... Yeah, I don't know. I guess I'm saying it is an interesting conundrum for Angel specifically, which is that, at least for him, I think it's reasonable to assume that he can't ever get too close to somebody because if he falls in love with them, it just means extreme limits on their relationship... And that's not really fair to them. It's not really fair to him. And also he could always slip up and then terrible things will happen. So I do think that he's, I wish that, yeah, I guess what I'm saying is that I wish I had focused more on him and his particular predicament, because I think that's a more interesting story because I also already know and care about Angel. And so like, I am, I'm interested in how this affects his life because I think that that is a terrible curse, you know, and it's sad. It's the reason he had to leave the love of his life, you know? But that's an interesting question that they have to explore because as we see, you know, Angel's decision to leave Buffy in Sunnydale, Mm -hmm. like, they both have to kind of then, we see them grappling with this idea of, like, you know, when they were together, they were like, oh, you're, like, my whole world, you're everything. It's, like, obviously, like, Buffy's, like, first big love Mm -hmm. and all this stuff, but it's, like, 
now that they're separate, neither show is really trying to make the argument that they're each other's like one, one and, and only. only. Like that that they can in fact fall in love with other people. Sure. They can have other loves. And and Buffy does that a little bit more um overtly, I think, but Angel, like, you do kind of see, and maybe that's some point this episode is trying to make is like people go out here and do this again and again, trying to find love again and again. I mean, mm-hmm. a lot of these characters are talking about, well, I used to have it and now I don't. Right. And it's like, I think this idea of like, Angel does, I think, intentionally start closing himself off because he's aware that like, he could fall in love with someone yeah. else. And he could And he can't be a good partner to anyone, exactly. really. Yeah. So, I mean, that hmm. is an interesting thing that the show contends with is that Buffy is not his one true love. Like, yeah. she's a big love, but like, he's perfectly capable of falling in love with someone else. Yeah. And... Yeah. Again, I though, yeah. Not to just continue to retread, but again, it, 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 yeah, painting all of singledom as loneliness, I think is not a very interesting or true statement, but exploring Angel's specific loneliness, mm-hmm. I think is very interesting, you but know? That, and, and again, yeah. never even tries. And that like Doyle tries to say like, you need to connect with people. Yeah. And that's why we have Cordelia because she's going to help you connect with people. But they, when they focus on Doyle, yeah, again, I just think that things are getting a little bit muddied and I'm looking forward to some some like kind of where this season i think ends up mm. i don't remember the finale of this episode of this season particularly mm. but um i'm looking forward to shedding getting some new characters basically is what i'm saying because i think that there are more interesting ideas and this is not the venue for it well and it's also interesting because i agree that that could be an interesting te- like take for them to go like use this Explore, exploring it through Angel, but all we get is some bumbling comedy of Angel trying to talk up women in the club, or yeah. like they keep he's think he's they think he's like feeding them lines, and he's like, no, I really want to know, like yeah, do you yeah. rescuing or like yeah. whatever, and like he's also seems completely clueless, and like you can kind of make the argument of they're trying to show he's unpracticed at right. interacting with people, but it really just makes him seem like kind of a just idiotic person. Yeah, yeah. But they're not making any bigger claims about like you know, bigger stories mm-hmm, of, like, mm-hmm. Angel's Lonely. What does that mean? It's, like, I just feel like this episode is, like, very shallow. Well, and, like, like they yeah. just touch on everything on a really surface level, and it's, like, they don't ever move past, like, cliche into, like, Yeah, substance. it never really makes it. Yeah. And even Doyle's insistence that Angel connect with people, he never really admits, again, why Angel is yeah. closing himself off from people. Angel has totally valid and legitimate reasons to do it. So it is weird to like, I I like that he brings Cordelia in as a way to help him meet people because I think that that ultimately works and it is a fun dynamic for me to watch. But yeah, it is weird to just be like, dude, you can't just bully people into living this life. I guess at the end they do let him sit alone in his room dark, which is nice. But yeah, um, I did enjoy that. Yeah. They were like, we're going to go out and they're like, well, you can just sit here in the dark. He's like, thank God. Yeah. (laughs) I think, the problem, though, and I think this is unfortunately something that continues, is, like, I just don't think the Doyle character ever really worked. Same, like, yeah. Like, he, he shows up as a guide, and it He's kind not, of makes yeah. sense to, like, kind of get Angel on this path, but, like, they didn't do it in... I don't know if it was the fault of the actor or the writing, but they never did it in a way that it felt like there was a reason for him. Yeah, he never of. feels like much more than a plot device. And then right. he's an annoying one at that. Well, like, he's an annoying, he's, he's another Xander who's the exposition monster. Is well, like, it's just thing. not he the right. The, you're right, he's the exposition monster. He yeah. literally, they never progress him past exposition. Like, he's the one who announces all the, like, stuff. Right. Like, he has the vision. So he, he literally is the, like, thing that, like, the MacGuffin that gets the plot moving well and to our earlier point the only thing we know about him as a person is that he's obsessed with cordelia because she's hot and And like that's not a charm yeah that's not a charming personality trait so it is weird to be like i mean we do kind of get hints that doyle is supposed to be a little bit of a gross person like he's like yeah kind of 
it's kind of hinted at that he has like a rougher background. Like he, Cordelia makes a joke about him learning his skills, like looking for his porn, computer skills. And he kind of was like, yeah, pretty much. And yeah. then she's kind of like, wait, what? Yeah. Like, so I think we're not supposed to think he's like this great guy, but again, though, and maybe he's like, not there's supposed so many, to be a great. That's guy. true, and there, but there's so many interesting avenues to having a not great guy, and I feel like having him just play the role of pining after the hot girl while being gross to her is not. First of all, not, not, it's something we've already seen in this done well enough. Don't need more of it. And secondly, again, yeah, it's just not a very like, where is that going to get your character? Kind of nowhere. Um, yeah. I do appreciate that he admitted it at least. I think that was like refreshing, um, but also maybe not necessary. Also, why can't Cordelia type? We saw her taking computer classes. Um, that might explain why she can't type. I guess. She's also in like remedial computer classes at one point, so. Yeah, that's true. I guess it still just seems a little unfathomable that she wouldn't know how to do it, but It's possible that she's just now figuring out that deliver is not how you (laughs) print things. Willow really did a number on her computer learning. (laughs) Um. Yeah. But we do see Cordelia living like an absolute slob, which I did like the parallel of her and Buffy. (laughs) I was just gonna say though, maybe Cordelia should be roommates with Buffy. Um, Yeah. This is also uh, definitely a little bit of a precursor to the movie It Follows. I don't know if you ever saw that. I should have looked up more of the details because now it's a little bit eluding me what the major themes of that movie. But that was this is a movie that came out a couple years ago and it was basically like people, in order to get rid of a monster that was trailing you, you had to have sex mm-hmm. with someone and it would pass it along. So it was kind of like a metaphor for STDs sort of and then maybe some other things. But um, So that's the other interesting thing about this now that you bring this up is like, as clunky and kind of like a misfire as this episode feels to me, it also feels like a very intentional effort to distance Angel from the world of Buffy. Right. And that, like, how much more adult can you prove that you are right. when you're like, we're talking about the single scene in Los Angeles and, like, people hooking up and, like, you know, all these, like, people going home to have sex and, like, that's how the demon's, like, getting close to, like, yeah. you know, it's like, th- this is not the type of demon that would show up on Buffy. Right. Like, they wouldn't have done this. Like, right. Not to say it couldn't have made the rounds at the high school. Sure. It sh- certainly could have, but they yeah. wouldn't put that on an 8 p.m. show on the sure, WB. Sure, You know, it's like, I think this is another intentional thing of, like, how, I don't want to say edgy because it doesn't seem remotely edgy, but, right. like, that, you're definitely right. Um, the more grown-up themes of, like, you know, connection and loneliness, but, like, yeah. that there's more of a physical component, and that's how a parasitic demon like this can even function. Sure. It, it's just very badly done, yeah. I think. Yeah, and, and I think that might be it, is, like, you know, maybe... It, it's very similar to the first season of Buffy where they knew the show, roughly the ideas in the show they wanted to be, but they didn't really know how they wanted to how do to it. How to pull and, them off. And even yeah. whatever lessons they learned from that, they seem to have not been able to translate to Angel where it's like this first season, even these first couple episodes, it seems like they know hmm. the premise. They know, okay, we're going to get these people, these trio of people together. They're going to start an investigations yeah. business. And we're going to have Demons of the Week, and we get to know them. But they yeah. haven't moved into any character arcs. I mean, they haven't had time. Right. But also, like, they're not... Their choice of demons seems yeah. like... A I mean, you're bit... definitely right that they're doing this to further distance themselves from Buffy. I think what... The mistake to me, now that we've talked about it, is that they're not focusing on Angel. I think that would have been... Angel's the... barely in this episode. Right. And... It... And again, and like we're saying, everything that he does, as is everything that everyone does in this episode, is really surface level. So it is like... You have an interesting character. I do like the pilot of this, but I think, you know, the beginning shot and the end shot of the pilot are Angel being heroic and us getting to see him Mm -hmm. taking this new role seriously and just kind of understanding what that means for him and his life. And so it's like, obviously, he's the strength of this show. I think David Brown is, as we've mentioned a hundred times, you know, like, he's gotten so much better and so much more comfortable and he really is a great leading man at this point. Mm -hmm. I think he's totally pulling it off. And on top of which, he is a badass action hero. And like, 
So like they have so many things that are working for them that it is weird that they kind of keep trying to fill well, in the background with stuff that ultimately never doesn't even really last. And it's interesting because so much of what they introduce in the pilot isn't here. Like we don't see exactly. Wolfram and Hart. Yeah. And we meet Kate and Kate will become more of a recurring character. Sure. But like, and maybe that's the point is like, because they do kind of try to make a point in this episode of like wanting to help the helpless and like create this business. Mm-hmm. But Doyle is very clear that you need to walk the line and you can't be considered like a vigilante right. because that's the best way to get in trouble with the cops. And so right. we do kind of see, he says that and then immediately Angel runs into a cop. And so she's, it's, it's kind of a good example of how in the real world, like investigating on the side, like, yeah, like what you can be it? like a PI, but like your limitations of what you can do. Like mm-hmm. all Angel does is call <clears throat> attention to himself and make himself look like the murderer. True. And so it's kind of yeah. maybe an example of how he plans to, like, dance around the, the law. And, mm-hmm. like, and how he's learning about yeah. how to dance around that stuff, and I guess. And interactions, but it's it's such a, like, a also isolated one-off departure from the actual themes we brought right. up in the pilot. I mean, I thought the pilot did a better job of playing with on Angel's loneliness exactly. and, like, all of that. It well, and so even, yeah. Handed, like, and just, yeah. Like, watching him try to, like, rescue people in the alleyway and then walk away from them because he doesn't... Yeah. want anything more yeah. to do with them I think is a more yeah that's just a better I mean, example so of much this, about so. this is like just walking up to someone in a club and being like do you need help like yeah <laughs> wait for someone to look like they, I mean it's just that all seems a little bit clunky you know I do I did enjoy even though obviously she's doing it in her Cordelia kind of bitchy superficial way I did enjoy her scene calling everybody out in the club because I, I think we talked about this a lot. Like, I think Cordelia's real strength is that she is really perceptive. Whether or not she's using it for good or evil or for her own purposes is maybe where she gets into yeah. some, you know, dicey areas. But, like, she is astute and she is really good at observing things. So I thought I actually enjoyed that scene kind of being like, you're right, that this is what... She was wrong about one. the victim being rich and that's why that guy was going home with her. True. that was the demon, but mm-hmm. they didn't know. Of course. Yeah. But I think she otherwise had... You know, it's like, again, maybe if she learns to rely on her skills a little bit more, too, she could have said, oh, maybe something is fishy about this particular mm-hmm. situation. Granted, should she be that superficial about everybody? I don't know. But, eh, whatever. Yeah. I don't um, know. This is a, I'm, I'm excited to get to the better episodes. Yeah. <laughs> Although, I do want to just point out that in this episode, Cordelia said the words to Angel, like, oh, if, or to Angel, to Doyle, oh, if that was my gift, I'd return it. When she was talking about him getting those visions. That's definitely a little foreshadowy. Is well, it? is it? Like, Don't that's know. the question. It's, now it seems like it is, but, like, did what did they know at this point? I mean, this is episode two. Like, they can't have thought that, I don't like, remember how long it lasts. Yeah. I had, like, eight episodes. I think they would have... I think they were probably planning that far in advance. Maybe. Eh, or is it just something she said? Either way, ends, ends it's foreshadowing now. <laughs> yeah. Um... I don't really have anything more to say about it. No. I just really didn't like that one. Yeah. You're so. right. You know, when I was watching it, I was kind of not paying that close attention but I guess now I'm realizing it was because it was not very good I don't know I think I just like was reading this will go hand in hand with my pop culture recommendation but I was just reading a book oh right yeah (laughs) the complete opposite of all of this and so I was like watching this and I was like no this is just so so wrong so um okay well next week we'll do um the harsh light of day Mm. I believe is the name of the Buffy episode I forget um wow I'm not so good at looking these up anymore and I have no idea what the angel one is <laughs> <laughs> me neither well it'll be a fun surprise for both of us but episode three of both yeah both. um yeah so do you have any pop culture this week I do um not that this is something that like probably needs uh someone's recommendation but we I finally got to see uh Coco which is the new Disney Pixar movie that came out um that's about you know Dia de los Muertos and it's 
you know, kind of the first Mexican story that Disney Pixar has told. Um, and I specifically waited to see it with my family, but, um, yeah, we got to go see it a couple nights ago, two nights ago, maybe. And it was super good. I just really liked it. It obviously made me cry a ton because it has some emotional beats to it. I have been reading a lot about it online, but I haven't finished off my research. I mean, it definitely isn't as the story I think is not as the story beats are not as groundbreaking as they could have been, which kind of seems to be a weakness, a weak spot for Pixar right now, I think. Um, but everything else, like the visuals are some of the best I've ever seen in a Disney Pixar, I think. And I do think that just the setting alone is enough to really set it apart from like, it's not the same, even though the story beats are the same, many of them are things that you've seen before the rest of the story. Um, you know, it isn't something that you get to see in a mainstream Disney movie. So like, that's super exciting. And I think they did it. They did a really good job in my opinion. Um, and it has like, the songs are really cute. All the characters were like, yeah, they were great. I 100% recommend it if you didn't see it yet. And there, you know, obviously a lot of it is specific to Mexican culture, but also it's like pretty universal. Like the, the bigger themes are really about your family and how you deal with them and how you talk about family members that have passed on and what they mean to you and how they influence your family in that life. And I think that that's pretty much like universal to everyone. So um, I think that part was good. But again, like the visuals, there's a scene where they're on like the big set piece and I think this is the one that's like probably in all the advertisements or whatever, where he first, the main character is a, bo a living boy who ends up in the world of the dead. Um, and the way that people pass through is on this marigold bridge. And it's just like the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. And it's like, it's active. Like the marigolds are kind of like falling kind of a little bit like a waterfall, but it's clearly a bridge. And it was just like so well conceived and executed. Wow. I haven't seen it, but I, I really, I really liked really it. it. I did enjoy the previews of it. I just, you know, I don't go to the movies anymore. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Um, no, that does sound really good. So, um, I know you guys, cause I think you guys were talking about it on Christmas. Yeah. They had, most of my had family done. had seen yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So I read a book called, <laughs> uh, all the single ladies. Uh, -huh. uh, it is named after the Beyonce song. Okay. Um, but really I think it's an interesting book for even if you're single or not. I mean, it's basically more of an approach of like the power that women have gained in mm -hmm. the last, you know, century of even, you know, going from, women who used to like your path was like leave your home and go to your husband's home and like how women were a hundred percent financially dependent on their husbands like mm -hmm. I mean up until a few decades ago women couldn't get credit cards in their own name they couldn't you know like and how a lot of the um culture wars now that seem to stem from you know like sexual liberation and all this stuff like in fact probably are more about women wielding more power and like less dependency on men than mm -hmm. they used to so like even if you're married like you can have your own identity and your, you can keep your name and you can yeah. have your own bank account and, like, you can ha pull down a salary even if you have a husband who's also earning a salary. I mean, it's mostly about, like, how women are even able to live singly and enjoy mm -hmm. themselves and how a lot of them are making the choice to, like, not have kids and not get married because, like, the trade-off where it used to be you got married because, like, really that was your only way to survive. Right. Like, now it's, like, men are not providing enough, enough. of a trade-off to yeah. be, like... I mean, this is something I think about all the time as a single person. Like, I love my life and I, you know, have yet to meet the one person who I'm like, yes, you are making it better, not actually detracting right. from, like, you know, <laughs> my cultivated, you know, life that I have. So this book really spoke to me on a lot of levels. And, um, like, I screenshotted, like, so many pages of it <laughs> when I was reading it. Um, but also it's a lot about the power of, like, female friendships and, like, women mm -hmm. kind of building their own communities. And, like, it's just a really you know, tying it into, like, the socioeconomic stuff, a little bit into, like, sexual politics, mm -hmm. and um, how the, you know, the right is, like, 
just panicking about this and how a lot right. of it is not necessarily because women have like women having their own agency is actually terrifying for a sure. lot of people who are used to that not being the case yeah because how do you preach the morality of family structure if like honestly you women are to. or if in many cases women are better off like right you know there's all these people that talk about how oh, we'd solve all this problem if people would just get married. And it's like, but like forcing people to have bad marriages with unreliable people who make their lives worse just so that they can say that they're married, like that doesn't actually solve these problems. Did the book talk a little bit about, I'm not sure what the way to say this is, but I feel like something that is true in our lives that wasn't true for past generations is that I think there is a lot more open dialogue about relationships in general that I think has made it also a little bit more clear that like, oh, a lot of those relationships are bad ones and you don't have to stay in them. Yes. Okay. So it talked a lot about like, like how no, less that's less of an economic argument right, for it. But and more women of a realizing like, like there there's the option to leave or right. you know that you can have many stages of your life of singlehood or mm-hmm. you're with someone and then you're not again or like even like the conversations that more um, egalitarian couples have of like so we're going to live together and this is how we're going to divide up the mm-hmm. chores and like the childcare and you know like mm-hmm. just that women have more of the ability to negotiate and like yeah. and also that you know unfortunately like men don't have the leverage, that, well, unfortunately or fortunately, but right, men just right. don't have the leverage that they used to. And, like, it's, like, that perhaps women are deciding not to settle anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is not to take away from anyone who's in a relationship right, or no, whatever. I'm, it's just, like, yeah. talking about, it's mostly about the power of women. Interesting. Um, did it also talk about, did they talk about monogamy or no? Um, they did in the way like that some people... non-monogamy, I guess, really, um, is the question. They weren't talking more about the people who okay. are, like, in polyamorous relationships or just or but they were talking about like people who decide that they want a string of casual encounters versus mm-hmm. like monogamy or like you know and there were so many people in this book who I was like oh my god like this is me like mm-hmm. you know for so long like there was you know like people talking about like it is more normal for people to pair up and be dating mm-hmm. like so people who like don't seem to need that or whatever it is sometimes easy to feel a little bit like a freak when you're like yeah. everyone's like why don't you have a boyfriend why aren't you married and it's like I was like reading this book and I was like, oh my God, like there are people out there who have the exact same thought process I do where yeah. it's like, I don't, because I don't need it. Like yeah. I don't, and, or I'm not actively looking for it or like I'm just busy or like, mm-hmm. you know, and it's, it was kind of great. And they, you know, they name check, you know, a bunch of people that I know of, of like the Call Your Girlfriend mm-hmm. podcasters and Mina and Anne mm-hmm. and they talk about their story and um, actually... <laughs> Well, I'll share this with you offline. Okay. There was, their story made me ball a little bit because they get a little close to home. Yeah. Um, but you know, I just I feel like any anyone should read this. I think men or women because I think yeah. it was like just fascinating and well written, like yeah. easy to read book. And you know, I mean, even the author she's married with kids. Like, yeah. She's not talking about like advocating like this lifestyle or even it's just exploring like the choices that we now have yeah no I mean that definitely yeah that sounds very interesting and even uh, even things like uh, you know Aziz Ansari's modern romance definitely Mm -hmm. touch on some of those ideas I think it's more and more common and worth thinking about yeah Yeah. it's I mean it was so like but like I said having read that and then watched this episode right you're particular in a particular place to be critical (laughs) yeah that's fair Yeah. yeah um Okay, so um, I think this week. Oh yeah. Ugh. Um. <laughs> oh yeah. Shoot. I'm gonna be Team Kathy. Yeah, I think I have. I wish to. she could have stuck around a little Honestly, longer. Honestly, because no one else was really. Well, and you know, you know the thing we didn't talk about is it's like she had some sort of unsatisfying life that she was trying to escape, and like yeah. as much as she, you know her moral code was clearly not aligned with the moral code of earth. And I, but I feel some sympathy for her and I wish she could have gotten out. Yeah. Team Kathy all Mm -hmm. the way. Team Kathy. Yeah. And Dagny. 
Yes, Team Dagny. <laughs> Mostly Team Dagny. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Uh, all right. Uh, we'll talk next week. Okay. Once More with Commentary is produced by me, Allie. And me, Ginny. Our theme music is from the album Rockingham by Nerf Herder. And our podcast logo is by Ryan Cooney. You can email us at scoobies at oncemorewithcommentary.com with any feedback, questions, comments that you have, and find us on Twitter and Instagram at omwcpodcast. You can also find our most recent episodes and any show notes at oncemorewithcommentary.com.